，耶稣听你，你若有鬼，防鬼护身，防鬼搅扰，你干哪要求耶稣救你？你若信耶稣，你就当得到自由，来信耶稣。Does that work for you?、Um, you know, does does that make you want to follow Jesus?、Uh, well, my guess is probably not, but it would work for some people in Taiwan, and it would work for probably quite a lot of people around the world. But why does it not work for you? Now, if you're a believer and you're watching this, well, what I just said. About Jesus、uh, being more powerful、uh, than the other spirits, or that that you can get freedom from evil spirits. Well, these are all ideas from the Bible, and at times Jesus even preached like that. So why does this message not work for you? Contextualization. So I I grew up at、uh, WS Strathfield,、um, but me and my family are now in Taiwan, and we're in Taiwan here. And we're with an organisation called OMF.、Um, we're here as missionaries doing church planting,、uh, and so what that means is we go out and we share about who Jesus is. And for those who are interested,、uh, we we keep sharing, and some of them believe, and we try to collect those who believe to start a, a house church-style church. And when we share about Jesus here in Taiwan, when we do church, we need to contextualise. So contextualisation. What is it? Contextualization is when you you get the good news of Jesus communicated and lived out in a particular context.、Uh, when contextualization is done well, it's when you have the good news of Jesus communicated and lived out in a way that's suitable for that particular context. We're trying to be faithful to God and the Bible, and faithful to people and culture. Where is this, and where is this? They're both church services, but should church services look the same around the whole world? Is that good or bad? One's in Taiwan, one's in Sydney. Where's this, and where's this?、Um, that's me preaching in both of them. But what language am I speaking? I'm wearing similar things, but one is actually a Sunday service in Kaohsiung, a city here in Taiwan. And the other is a wedding service in Sydney. Should I have dressed differently? Should I have had a haircut? How do you answer these questions、uh, apart from just voicing your personal opinion? Is this church, or is this church? Now, what does the Bible teach us, teach us about church, and how do we work out what a good way of doing church for a particular context? Well, we're going to look at a biblical example. Now, remember, good contextualization is when we're being faithful to God and the Bible, and we're being faithful to people and culture. So, we'll look at language. See, throughout the whole Bible, pretty much all the time, most of the time, very few instances it doesn't happen. When God speaks to people, they understand. He uses their language, their cultural terms. So, when we see God speak to Noah in Genesis six, perhaps. In Hebrew, who knows? Noah understands. Hundreds, thousands of years later, when God speaks to Isaiah in Isaiah chapter six, Isaiah understands.、Uh, probably, you know, the language would have changed by then. In Luke chapter one, 
when God sends his messenger, an angel, Gabriel, to tell Mary that she's going to have a baby boy, Jesus, she understands. She's probably speaking Aramaic, yet a different language. When Jesus speaks to Saul when he's walking on the road to Damascus and Saul turns his life around, he understands. And then when Saul, when he addresses a crowd of Jews, and these Jews are wanting to kill him, they're not very happy with him, Saul uses Aramaic, and as he speaks, they hear their mother tongue, the Jews, they go quiet and they listen. See, the whole Bible itself is also written in human language, which at the time was written was the current modern language. God, he himself, he's faithful to himself and his own word, and he's also faithful to people and culture. He uses human language, human words, human cultural terms. So remember, good contextualization is being faithful to God and the Bible and being faithful to people and culture. But you might be asking, aren't there times when contextualization is done badly? Well, yes, um, and there's, there's two, two ways you can do contextualization badly. Right now we'll talk about one, it's called under-contextualization. It's when you don't do enough contextualization. You're basically taking your form of Christianity, picking it up, and dumping it on another culture. You see, our, our understanding of God, uh, the Bible, church, uh, the way we tell people about Jesus, it's all wrapped in culture. It's wrapped in language, it's wrapped in clothes, it's wrapped in cultural terms. It's a bit like chocolate. Uh, chocolate, that's wrapped. Because chocolate without wrapping, is, it, you know, it melts a bit messy, hard to give to someone. Uh, but chocolate's wrapped, and if you take the wrapper off, and then you put the chocolate in another, piece, another wrapper, well, the chocolate's still the same. So, culture is, is like the wrapper. Um, the often caricatured example of under-contextualization is, uh, there's an example of Presbyterian missionaries that, more than a hundred years ago. They're from Scotland and they go to Nigeria and they build this large kind of stone church in town called Duke Town uh, and they bring a pipe organ. They install a pipe organ and they oppose using local instruments like drums. Um, and it hasn't stayed that way, but you know, that clearly was picking up the gospel and church wrapped in Scottish Presbyterian church culture and then dumping it in Nigeria. And we kind of look back and we think, well, that's quite amusing. You know, why would you lug a pipe organ all the way to tropical Africa when that's not even the style of music they use? But we might do similar things without even realizing. We might do the culturally equivalent uh, of pipe organ in Nigeria. Uh, we might be so used to the way that we do church, uh, we don't realize that some things might actually be culturally cringeworthy. So that's why we need to do contextualization well. Well, many years ago, I read an article by a pastor in Sydney. He was involved in a private Christian school. And uh, the students go to chapel, which is like a church service, and he was speaking to a, a non-Christian student. And he said that this non-Christian student told him, oh, the music they sung there, the Christian music, sounded just like pop music, just like any other music out there. And this Christian pastor was saying that this was bad because Christians should be culturally different. He was saying that, you know, Christian music should sound or feel different to pop music. But actually, what this pastor has done is he's made a category mistake. He's equated culture with truth. He, he's, he's equated the wrapping with the chocolate inside. 
And we're going to read from Acts chapter 17, and we're going to see how the same truth can have different cultural wrapping, different wrapping depending on the audience, depending on, on the culture. So Acts chapter 17, this is after Jesus' death and resurrection. Paul, he's a Jew, a follower of Jesus, and he's going around sharing the good news of Jesus in lots of different places. So I'm going to read Acts chapter 17, verses 1 to 19 first. When Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. But other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they put Jason and the others on bail and let them go. Here are five principles I think we can glean from this passage. Uh, one, Paul, the speaker, he understands God's word, the Bible. In verse 2, he says, he reasoned with them from the scriptures. Two, he understands the local culture. He's he specific, specifically gone into the synagogue. Uh, it's Jewish. Uh, and there's also people who already believe in God, the God-fearing Greeks. Uh, and so what does he do? He says he talks about a Messiah in verse 3. This is a Jewish term. So he uses Jewish terms to speak to Jewish people. Three, he affirms uh, that the, the geeky term is common grace, the aspects which God has blessed everyone with, the good things in the culture. So he affirms, he affirms something good in their culture. Uh, and in this particular Jewish culture, he affirms their belief that there is a Messiah who is still to come. But four, he also challenges any deficiency in their understanding or their practice. In verse three, he says, well, this Jesus I'm proclaiming to you is the Messiah. So that's something that they did not believe, they did not understand at the time. And five, some accept and some reject. So even though the message is contextualized, some will accept it, but some will still reject it. I'm now going to read Acts chapter 17, verse 16 to 34, a different situation, uh, but I think perhaps similar principles. Acts chapter 17, verse 16 to 34. He was waiting for them in Athens. He was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? 
Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he, give, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history, and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him, and perhaps reach out for him, and find him, though he is not very far from any one of us. For in him we live, and move, and have our being, as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, We want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. I think the same five principles can be found in this passage too. One, uh, Paul, the speaker, he understands God's word, the Bible. Verse 18, Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. But later on, uh, he uses more biblical concepts in his sharing. Verse 24, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. Two, he understands the local culture. Verse 17, so he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks as well as in the marketplace, day by day, with those who happened to be there. So he spent time in the marketplace, you know, in the shopping centres, in the parks, where normal people have gathered. Uh, he's even got an invitation to speak at the local club, the Areopagus. Uh, three, he affirms common grace, aspects of the culture which are good. When he goes to the Areopagus, he says in verse 22, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. So he affirms this desire for something more than the present. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, it says that God has set eternity in the human heart, a longing for more than the temporary, and Paul taps into that. 
4. He challenges any deficiency in their understanding of, or, or practice. Verse 23, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. And then he goes on and explains more. 5. Some accept, some reject. At the very end, uh, verse 32 to 34, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. But others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. So two different examples, uh, but similar things are done. The truth is the same, but two types of wrapping. So there's under contextualization. And there's got to be over-contextualization. That's the second way of doing contextualization badly. Good contextualization is when you're faithful to God and the Bible and faithful to people and culture. Over-contextualization is when you're faithful to people and culture, uh, but you're not really faithful to God and the Bible. You've lost God, you've lost Bible somewhere along the way. Uh, going back to our chocolate and wrapper analogy, um, so You've got your chocolate and you've taken your your wrapper off, your own cultural wrapper, and you put the chocolate into a local cultural wrapper, but then you've taken a bite out, and then you've added like sprinkled like um, coconut flakes or something on top, uh, and you, you've given it to someone. You know, the, the bite's taken out of it. It's like, well, it's not the same as it was. It's, it's not the same chocolate. Something's changed. It, it's, not, it's not as appealing, is it? So what, what might over-contextualization look like in real life? Well, my example, you may or might, may not like, it's got to do with money. Um, Australian culture is strongly, strongly money-focused. I think greed is a cultural preference. We don't say it, uh, we don't say that we're greedy, uh, but we think it and we plan it. It's in the way we think about our superannuation. I mean, who is it for? Well, it's for me. Uh, it's, the, it's the way we think about a house. Right, it's for me. No one sells you a house and says, Oh, look at that spare room with an ensuite. Uh, you know, if someone in the community is in a domestic violence situation, uh, they, they can live here when they need somewhere safe for them and their kids. You, you can use it for them. They don't sell you a house that way. No one sells you a car and says, Look at those extra seats. You can pick up the kids uh, in the soccer team whose parents work on the weekends. Uh, no one sells you a financial plan, financial plan and says, oh, the extra return on your investment, you can give it away. No, Australian culture is greedy. And Australian church culture, uh, maybe we have over-contextualized. We have kind of played into that and lost a bit of God and the Bible in the way. Or think about how much do we scrutinize our church leaders and greed? Uh, it's one of the big things in 1 Timothy 3 when it talks about uh, the leaders in the church. Uh, but when we look for pastors at church or we think about our deacons who are, who are elected, how much do we interrogate or how much do we think about their love for money? Does it even cross your mind? Is generosity more important or Bible college training when, we, when we're looking for pastoral candidates? Interestingly, in Australian culture, it's taboo to talk about salaries and, and that sort of thing. So there are actually even more cultural elements to negotiate 
if you want to talk about money and church leaders. So over contextualization, you have the people in the culture, but you lost God or lost parts of the Bible along the way. Well, did you know that Christians did not always rest on Sunday? It was only in Constantine in 321 AD declared Sunday to be a rest day that most people rested on the Sunday. And when Sunday, the day is actually dedicated to the sun god, the Roman sun god. And research suggests that Christians very, very early on did meet on Sundays, the first day of the week, instead of the Saturdays, which is the Jewish Sabbath. Uh, and there are examples in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 20, verse 7 to 12, they met on the first day of the week. But remember, in Jewish thinking, a day is nightfall to nightfall, not morning to night, because in Genesis 1, at creation, it says there's, you know, there's evening and there's morning the first day, evening, morning, the second day, and so on. And so, in Acts 20, when they met on the first day of the week, the first work day, it was probably Saturday night, the beginning of Sunday. And so they did church service on Saturday night. Uh, and later on, when Roman Emperor Hadrian, in dealing with Jewish uprising, uh, he banned the Sabbath in 135 AD. So in that mix, Christians were also trying to distance themselves a bit from Jewish practice. And so early Christians, they might have first started meeting on Friday nights, so the beginning of the Sabbath, or Saturday, no Saturday nights, the beginning of the first day, which was a work day, Sunday was. Or they may have also, and likely, met on Sunday mornings, but because of a, it was a work day, they probably met really early in the morning, something like, you know, at dawn, before work. And so part of making Sunday the worship day uh, that we do now in a lot of Western countries uh, had to do with convenience. Um, and what's this got to do with us? Well, contextualization. You're already doing it. The, the fact that you meet on Sundays is a cultural choice. It is not a, a biblical choice. It is putting God and Bible and people and culture together. So in modern day Australia, Sunday is probably probably is a good day because it's convenient, because most people have Sundays off, although not everyone has Sundays off. So I mention all this just to encourage you because you're already doing contextualization in lots of different areas, and you're probably already doing good contextualization in lots of these areas, whether you knew or not, whether you knew the term or not, or even whether you knew the concept or not. But what happens if you stop contextualizing? What happens next? So you're probably already doing lots of good contextualizing, but what happens when you stop contextualizing? What happens next? Well, when you stop contextualizing, when you stop thinking about uh, how to adjust the way you share the good news of Jesus in a way that works for that people and culture, or you stop contextualizing and think about how, what church buildings should, should look like or feel like, when you stop, every day that you stop contextualizing, it, it puts you one day out of step with culture. You become less and less relevant to your family, your friends, and society. Because the world changes, people and culture changes all the time. And then every now and then your paradigm shifts. And right now there's, there's, a, there's a pandemic. Uh, there are world events that force us to recontextualize. So right now we've had to do church online, uh, we've contextualized for this current situation, this particular people and, and, and culture. But we will need to keep 
recontextualizing and recontextualize and recontextualize. Our Christians have always been at the forefront of technology, from the papyrus to the printing press to the Bible app on your phone. Our Christians have made use of technology, they've contextualized so that God's Word, the Bible, could go out to more places. And right now with COVID-19, this has forced us to use technology. I mean, technology that's been there for a long time. But W.S. Strathfield, we've already contextualized to you know, run church online at the moment. Um, there's an, an article on Eternity, Eternity News, an Australian Christian uh, online article, and it talks about how church online has allowed someone with special needs to be able to feel comfortable in church online and engage in a way that she, she never could before. And so with W.S. Strathfield, even after restrictions lift and we start meeting in person again, there needs to be more contextualization, especially of online resources. And in some ways, we can be thankful that COVID-19 has kind of forced this upon us. Uh, with online resources, videos, are we contextualizing the use of these tools beyond local church? Uh, with Church Online, we personally here in Taiwan, we, we've had the opportunities to connect with churches in Sydney um, while still being in Taiwan. And you know, WS has sent many missionaries out to different parts of the world. You know, we can make use of online resources more to be more regularly connected with missionaries and what God's doing across the whole world. Um, you know, these days there's you know church for gamers, people into esports. Maybe that's something worth investigating. Um, uh, there, there is a there's a group called Indigitus, a mix of indigenous and um, digital. Uh, and they, they, they aim to fulfill the Great Commission in part by helping people to find, use, create, and share digital media and tools and strategies. Uh, and they run hackathons. Hackathons are um, kind of like day events usually, or maybe a couple of days, but shorter events where people with technical and technological skill come together to try to solve a problem. They usually involve people like computer programmers, web designers, uh, that kind of thing. And this is a story from Canada and from one of the indigenous partners called Faith Tech. And they were involved in a, a hackathon. And their problem was this, that the founder of Faith Tech said, if you Google how to kill yourself, the top websites that come up provide advice on how to do it. And he said, that, that's appalling. But what if suicide prevention could be made to show as the top search result? We want to build websites to help people that are in those very difficult situations. So in that hackathon, they put together a suicide prevention website and they tweaked the SEO, the search engine optimization. It's you know how uh, you, you adjust your content and keywords and your website so that it, it pops up higher on a search engine like Google. Uh, this sort of thing had been possible decades and it's not even new. But COVID-19 is here and it's forced us online and there are now more online issues perhaps because of that. So how is church contextualizing not just church but care for each other, care for the community? How are we adapting to people and culture now? What opportunities are there out there that we could use? You know, we could use the skills that we maybe already have or we might want to learn uh, that God has given us to bring people closer to him and to serve the community.